All right. Dale, uh, if you're still there, why don't you go ahead and punch in and just just take Marvin's chair. I hate empty chairs uh, in the studio. Um I wanted so I to go back on mute, right? And you'll just call uh, yeah, you can you can you can come in as uh, as you need to. Um, but there there are a few points from uh, some of Marvin's uh, speech that I wanted to talk to Brian uh, about and maybe have him and Dale have some conversation about that. Um, yeah. so, Don't forget to ask me the um, Oh I haven't question. I have not <laughs> I have not forgotten. <laughs> Andrew, you were just you were just dying to give away your money, Andrew. You better, <laughs> you better skulk away real fast. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm half afraid to ask uh, Andrew this question, but I know I have definitely not forgotten to ask. Um, so uh, the thing I wanted to go back uh, on that there just wasn't enough time for there is the um, the exemplar uh, notion, and so uh, I'm sure Marvin and I will have a chance to discuss this on the board. But I wanted to. Uh, bring that out uh, a little bit more because there is there's a kind of an assumption uh, among the Christians who talk about exemplars. Dale, you were actually the first one to bring up exemplars. I think you were. Uh, Marvin may have in in the first show, but I know that you talked about it a bit, uh, Dale. Um, can an exemplar be a fictional character? Uh, so that that's my first question. Does the exemplar have to be a real character? Can it be a character in a in a uh, parable type situation can that be an exemplar? I don't see why not. Okay, so uh, being not real is not a barrier to being an exemplar. You just have to be an example of the type of uh, morality that you're that you're talking about. Uh, very good. So that said. I don't believe the Jesus of the Gospels is a real person. Now that wouldn't that wouldn't be a barrier uh, based on your definition of him being an exemplar. So I will accept that at face value. But the other problem that I have is that I don't think the Jesus of the Gospels is a particularly good person. So I started um, this series in the first. Um, first season, and I meant to talk about it uh, much of the second season. That didn't happen, so I will get to it in the third season, I promise. Um, but yeah, I I am one of those very few uh, rare people who have studied Jesus as extensively as I can uh, with, the, with the full extent of my ability to, to research and study and study the Gospels and um, learn as much as I can there. I don't find Jesus to be an exemplar of anything for me. Uh, and so the question, what would Jesus do, uh, is just an exemplar of what I wouldn't do uh, in most uh, given situations. And so I think that it is a bit of an assumption that Jesus is an exemplar. So what, what besides the fact that, you know, he's, he's a story in a book said to have said some things and did some things, what makes him an exemplar uh, of morality? Um, well, I mean, it's obvious. Uh, are you asking me as a Christian? Or are you saying, yeah, I'm, well, just, I'm asking you as a moral philosopher who thinks that Jesus is an exemplar. I, I, I don't, in ex how, how did he become the example of what you think morality is? Yeah, so speaking, so, so obviously as a Christian, he's God in the flesh, so he, and he was sinless, so he lived a morally perfect life so that means that his 
uh, example of life is instructive. Okay, him being God in the flesh holds no weight for me. Uh, so uh, even even uh, atheists who believe you know stories about Jesus can say he's an exemplar. But when you say he's God in the flesh, that doesn't actually cut it. So beyond that, you say he's sinless. Uh, he lived a sinless life. Well, again, I'm not sure that that means anything to an atheist either. Uh, because uh, what you consider sin is just whatever Jesus did is not sin. Uh, and so I'm not sure that that's particularly well-defined uh, either. Uh, and so you say he's perfect. Okay. Um, but there's so much life and experience that he did not live. He did not live a, a family life, for instance. He has no idea uh, what... Uh, what a man and a woman uh, go through or a man and a man go through trying to build a life together and raising kids uh, and uh, paying uh, property tax and uh, college educations and things like that. He's, he's missing so much life to call him, you know, the moral exemplar uh, because he lived the perfect life. I don't know anyone who wants to live the life that Jesus lived, that, that nothing about that life is perfect. Well, uh, so in the first place, I never brought this up about Jesus being the example. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. But um, in so terms of in your, in your first in your first conversation with Dale, I thought that you would briefly mention exemplars. But I may be getting you confused with Marvin because. Uh, yeah, I, I'll, I'll confess. I actually I was doing work, other work, and I, I also fell asleep for part of it. So I don't know. <laughs> But I, I will answer your question. Uh, sorry, you're not supposed to say this on on air. Dale. I'm going back on, on mute. I'm going. Back. We we, <laughs> we we all know it happens, Dale. We just you know we don't. Uh, never mind. But, but I, I will answer which part you fell asleep. The last thing the last thing I remember was Brian yelling like I will not like I kind of woke up when he's like I will not throw a rock or something. <laughs> Um, someone's face. But... You've been out for a while, man. Uh... <laughs> okay. Um, so... There have been, there have been two like, world wars since for the then. Exemplar. Did, I, did, I, did I get the job? <laughs> yeah. But, but it, you, someone can be an exemplar without being an exemplar on everything, right? I mean, Jesus doesn't have to be married to, to be an exemplar. We, we can... Uh, take exemplars from how from the principles that we get from him you know love love everyone love your neighbor as yourself or something and he, he gives us teachings about so like marriage. love love your enemy so, uh we can use him as an example of how he loved his enemies uh, uh the jews the, the jewish leaders he sure. uh he called them snakes he called them the equivalent of asses uh he called them um he uh, he was he was very uh, rude, very harsh to them. Um, yeah, I, I've so, done the same times, right? So it's well, yes, it's, you've been a you've been a fine example of that. But it's an example that I don't want to follow. Um, well, it's 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 something I well I think you're you're wrong. Here's why you should follow that exam, exemplar, right? Okay, if but you, right. But what I'm trying to do is get you to justify exactly why you think every behavior that Jesus had is, is some kind of perfect example. See, I don't, I don't believe in exemplars in the way that I think uh, you and Marvin are talking about exemplars. I think that there are people who have set good examples for many things. I think that, I think that Martin Luther King uh, 
was a good example for some things, uh, but he was a very flawed man, uh, and I wouldn't set him up as some kind of hero. Gandhi was a good example for some things, but I, I don't want to be a Gandhi. Um, you know, there, um, hell, Mike Tyson is a good example for some things, but he's not, he's not someone that, uh, you would necessarily say, okay, kids, uh, be like this guy. Um, so I, I think that, I think that humans are, are humans and some of them live their lives, you know, doing pretty decent things. I think the average, average Joe six pack is probably a good exemplar and you can pick him randomly, but, um, I think I think that's fine. I don't I don't see perfection as a kind of a, a goal for humans I anyway. So I don't I don't I don't worship at the the altar of uh, never doing anything that you would consider wrong. I mean, we're humans. We're we're gonna do some stuff, um, and that's yeah. that's cool with me. So I don't I don't see how you get to Jesus being this kind of. I don't see how you can get any human being. And say, well, this is the example uh, that everyone ought to be like. Because, yeah, because we would want to live a sinless life in whatever context we are. I mean, that is the ideal. We should just because we do fall doesn't mean that we should. I don't want, want to live a sinless life. Yeah, well, you're just wrong. That well, sure, but it, like, I don't okay, believe well, I don't believe in sin. <laughs> so I, but what? to the extent that you believe in sin. I don't want to live a sinless life. I don't want to live a life without the thing that you think of as sin. Uh, it would be a sin for me to say, screw your God, he's a monster. Uh, I like that sin. I'm going to commit it again before the show's over. Um, so I don't, <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, I don't, that, that just doesn't cut it for me as any kind of example. But I'm, I'm going to throw uh, Brian back in here. Maybe you guys can talk about... Uh, exemplars. We've talked a little, uh, a lot about the first show. There's, there's more to go there. Uh, a little bit about homosexuality has uh, jumped into the picture, so I don't want to necessarily go there. Um, David Russell and I uh, talked a little bit about um, uh, epistemology, and we've done a little bit of that. Uh, the conversation, though, about natural, moral naturalism uh, versus. There needing to be a, a god to ground morality or something supernatural. I'd like to hear a little bit more uh, reflection on that from uh, the people who remain here. And so, uh, Brian, uh, if you uh, and Dale would like to talk about uh, that a little bit. Um, and also, Dale, if you want to go back on some of the stuff I was talking about earlier with the definitional uh, thing, why is why is it okay to say... Uh, God's nature is numerically equal to good. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn it back over to uh, Brian and have have you guys uh, do a little bit of back and forth there if you don't mind. Sure, no problem. So yeah, I mean again, this is gonna dovetail with our approaches, right? It sounds like Dale is starting from the top down, saying there needs to be this perfect source of morality. And then, therefore, saying, therefore, it must exist, and then pointing to a very specific deity as said source. I'm going from the ground up, and I'm starting with what we both agree is real, which is nature. I would not call myself a naturalist in the stance that I think the supernatural is definitely not real, but I'm certainly not including it in my moral analyses. 
because it has yet to be demonstrated as real for me. It would need to be demonstrated first before I started pulling it in to my moral analyses. So that would be how I approach going through moral decisions in the same way that when I'm leaving my house, I'm not factoring in nine mobsters at the end of my driveway trying to stop me from going to work because there are no mobsters at the end of my driveway trying to stop me from going to work. Once they show up, they start factoring into my decision-making about what I'm doing when I leave my house. So to you, Dale, I would say you need to come with the demonstration that the deity is actually real before I start bringing it into morality rather than trying to define him into existence because he needs to be the perfect source of morality. Yeah, so so we would present arguments. We so so in the first place, I don't know what if you're talking about morality. You're, we're not really starting from the ground up. We're starting with naturalism. We don't agree um, at all that naturalism provides a foundation uh, that morals are grounded in natural property. So that that isn't a common um, common ground for for most people. But I, I, I didn't say that, Dale. I said, you agree that nature exists, right? Uh, I'm, I'm in nature. The tree outside your window is in nature. The fact that when I touch a stove and it's hot, that's nature. You, you agree with me that those things are real, right? Yes. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things we can confirm are real. We may disagree on what is real, and again, we could flesh that out. And I would then say the same thing for the God. We have to agree that the God is real before we could we could go together in bringing him into moral analyses, and we can't do that either. So how do we go from there? Well, I, I would say in the same way we should agree that there are non-physical morals, moral truths, and that there are these moral truths. And from that, we give a moral argument for God's existence, and that's where – you know, I provide. I wasn't prepared to like discuss, argue for God's existence and stuff. I, I thought I was just going to be probing Bell's views, but um, right. But again, so I, I don't think I don't think there's a moral truth out there, in the same way that there's a taxi cab that's out there, right? Think about sports, the sport of baseball, right? Baseball exists, but baseball is a concept. Baseball doesn't exist as a thing in the world. It is a concept that we know exists when it is instantiated by people playing baseball. And it can take many different forms in many different places with many different equipment and people. So I think morality is similar to baseball in that way. It's a concept. It's not something that's out there. And when you start saying it's a moral truth out there to be found, I'm not tracking with that. And let me just jump in. Dale, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. We just uh, we lost our um, Christian um interlocutor uh, early, and I just thought that uh, you might want to take the opportunity to sit in uh, for him, but you do not have to uh, if you do not want to. Totally, totally, as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, um, I'll just say, yeah, I get what you're saying, that you need to you need to argue that there, that God exists. Um, I don't think that we definitely, we have to argue that God exists to say that there are moral truths that exist that are non not based in natural properties that can be argued through different ways right like the attempt that i tried to do with david for example that there on slavery is wrong is a logically necessary thing i i didn't talk about god at all there um i was just trying to yeah and, and i wouldn't agree that slavery is it's got nothing to do with logic as far as i'm concerned right i evaluate slavery 
and slavery is a means to an end. It's one that's not necessary. It causes more harm than it causes good. There are better ways to organize commerce. There's better ways to organize employer-employee relationships. So those are the reasons why I think slavery is bad. If we lived in an alternate universe where slaves were treated like princes, then this conversation would go differently. But we live in this world where slavery means one guy gets to have the whip and the other guy gets to move the rocks or else he gets the whip. That's why slavery is bad. Yeah, so you're still affirming a proposition that it's bad so long as slavery is defined as slavery, right, in terms of what, what it entails. Right. But there's nothing, there's nothing logically necessary about that. There's not some every world slavery is bad because there could be other worlds where, again, the slaves are the guys on the couch getting fanned by grape leaves and, you know, concubines and what have you, right? So, you know, that, that's that, not slavery. I, I, think, I, I think kicking this up to this logically necessary is just an unnecessary move that just obfuscates. Yeah, but that's, that's not slavery. You're, you're just slapping the word slavery on something that's not. Um, obviously, slavery has a meaning, right? Where it's where I said all the morally relevant circumstances are the same. So you can't take away the whip. It's it's always a guy being whipped by an oppressor to do work for them or something like that. That's what slavery is. So if, if right. Just... And what I'm what I'm saying is I I don't have access to all of these logically possible worlds to evaluate all of the variables existing in those worlds to tell you whether slavery is bad in every world. All I can speak coherently about is what's going on in this world with slavery. So Brian, no, that's not true. You have modal evaluating faculties. Can you not conceive of a possible world where, pretend everything's the same, you know, you're, whip, you're whipping the, the African, a white guy is whipping, a British white guy is whipping an African American in the actual world. This occurred in 1750 or whenever it is. You can't conceive of a world where that took place in 1350 instead. That's a different possible world where it's the same fact and the date, the, the change in circumstance of the date. Right. Doesn't but I, I, did, I, I, I didn't say I couldn't conceive of any other options. I said I don't have access to all of the other options. I can conceive of a world where slaves are considered so valuable because you can't have the pyramids without them. You can't have all the cotton picked. You can't have fields uh, plowed. And so as such, the slaves are treated like gold. They're fawned over. Their, their children are educated. They're treated amazingly. I can conceive of a world where slaves are treated better than they are in the ways that we've, we've known it that we are. So that's what I'm trying to say is you've got to give me the actual other variables on the ground before I could tell you that there's no other world where there's where slavery isn't a good thing from where i sit if you put a gun to my head of course i think slavery is wrong in every conceivable world but i admit that i don't have access to many many conceivable worlds where maybe that would be uh disproven so it's it sounds it sounds to me like you're just you're you're changing the morally relevant circumstances right so this is what Christians do. Forget about possible worlds. This is what we do with the actual world. When when Christians make the, the argument, which is an incomplete defense, when they talk about in Israel, in the Old Testament, it wasn't slavery. It was indentured servitude. And that was good. It's like having a job. It's It helped the poor and stuff like that. It, this solves the thing because you're, you're changing the morally relevant circumstances or, or something. And that's why people can say, well, that that's no problem. And this is why 
someone like David Jay will go, yeah, but don't forget about those foreign slaves. They didn't have the same rights that Israelite slaves had. They were treated in the same way, according to him, in the same way that the black slaves were treated in the 19th century. So, so what you're doing is you're changing up the morally relevant facts of, of the matter and then you're just slapping the word slavery on it to, to say well here's an exception or something like that right but so it's 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 it sounds like you're making it a tautology then slavery is bad because it's defined as bad if you start changing what falls under the umbrella of slavery then you've just denuded the word and it's not slavery anymore so if that's what you're doing then sure i'll agree slavery is bad all the time in all purposes because it's defined that way well, it's, it's, it's not that it's defined that way. I'm just saying, like, if there's the morally relevant facts, we would need to discuss what that is, you know, oppressing someone or something. Like, for, put it this way, uh, call, treating uh, a human being as property, saying that they are ontological property or something. They're not – we degrade them. Let's just look at that. Um, that's necessarily wrong. When you say that a person is property, uh, there are no exceptions to that. Uh, there are no uh, circumstances or, or exceptions to that moral truth. Right. And what I what I would say is I can agree with that, but I'm open to someone presenting morally relevant facts or whatever other variables to change my mind. I'm not willing to say that I can sit here and tell you in all possible universes this is the way it is. I have epistemic humility in that way. So it depends what level we're talking about. I don't want to kick it up to this logic level because I think that's obfuscating the facts on the ground. Okay. Well, the, there's nothing I can do about that, but I, I'm, I'm not lacking epistemic humility any more than I'm lacking epistemic humility in saying I know it's true one plus one equals two in all possible worlds. I'm not going to just say, well, maybe there's one world where it, it can. No, I, I know in all possible worlds it's, it's that. And I would say it's the same with this fact. If, if you don't have access to that, there's nothing I can I can really do if you don't have the knowledge that if, if you think that there is somehow a possible world where it's I, I mean, what what example, what what circumstance would be different? What fact would be different in that possible world? That let, would be let me see if I can help you a little bit, Dale, um, I, because I, I want to move on from this point, but I feel like you are, are frustrated because you're not able to make the next point um, in in the line that you want to make, and, and I haven't cooperated uh, because I didn't answer it right, apparently, and, and Brian's not answering it right. But let's go with, say, the one and one is two thing, because we all, I think most of us uh, would agree that one and one being two is a, logic, a logically necessary fact, as, as, you're, as you're describing it, that in all possible worlds that we can think of, um, one and one is two. What, what's the next step in, in your logic chain from there? If you if you get something that's uh, logically necessary, um, so so yeah, from there it would be trying to argue that there would be a god or godlike being um, that would ground that that necessary truth. Okay, so, so something that's logically necessary w requires a god for it to be logically necessary. 
Because it, it's let's start here. It requires it requires a necessary grounding. The the grounding itself that explains. Tell, that tell me what you mean by grounding. Uh, because this is not language that I use in my everyday life. Uh, this is only language I hear when Christians talk about uh, morality. Uh, and so what do, you, what do you mean that one in one equals two is a logically necessary fact and that has to be grounded in something? What, what, is, what does that mean? Yeah, so it, it needs an, an ultimate – it needs an explana- a sufficient explanation for its existence. Isn't the sufficient explanation that one in one is two? No. That's um, not a sufficient explanation. No. So okay. here's why. So, so saying that one plus one equals two exists out of logical necessity is a sufficient explanation. But here's why it, I would say that's inadequate because it doesn't make sense for the propos- for abstract propositions like numbers to just exist in the same way it doesn't make sense for moral principles like justice to just exist. They have to be grounded in something, and so, unlike the so morals, everything, say, everything this, that exists that that is uh, true in in every possible world, uh, it's not enough for that just to be true. Like for instance, I I am alive. Now I'm. There may not be a version of me in every possible world, but every possible world would agree that in this world I am alive. Uh, so the fact that I am alive, you're saying that that's not sufficient, that there, there has, that has to be grounded in something else. Well, sure. Cause you're a contingent being, right? But the, I'm, I'm talking about not things like pro- mathematical propositions are necessary, but they're necessary dependent entities, right? That if we're taking thing abstract entities inherently don't make sense to exist on their own. So number one in our reality, have you, have you ever met the number one? Have you shook hands with the number two? Uh, no, these are objects that exist in minds. Um, that's their right. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't see them as objects. Uh, I see them as simple descriptions of relationships between things. So numbers, uh, are descriptions of relationships, uh, so I, I I think that you're making a category. I think Christians and philosophers, too, are making a category error, error by suggesting that they are things that need to be grounded in anything. Uh, morality is a description of uh, how uh, social beings relate to one another. Uh, again, this is a description uh, of relationship. It is not a thing that has to be grounded in anything other than the fact that you and I have a relationship and I am responsible for how I treat you and I can treat you in a moral or immoral or an ethical or unethical way. But that is not a thing that has to be grounded in something else. It's grounded in our relationship. Okay. So that's, that's just a a cute claim. Um, And when it comes to mathematical objects, there are a lot of, People that I respect, uh, Dr. William Lane Craig, to name one, who's uh, an anti-realist like you. There are various positions on mathematical propositions. I'm a realist. I, most mathematicians on the planet are realists. Most scientists are realists when it comes to numbers and that sort of thing as well. So I take the view of d- divine conceptualism, right? That since we know that numbers exist in minds, if they are things, 
then they existing they are thoughts in God's mind. They are mental objects, not abstract objects. So that would be what I would be grounding it in. I would be arguing for the personhood or a mind um, for these objects to exist. Um, now there are various ways people again like uh, there, there are various arguments to try and argue that numbers are things are you know a realist perspective on numbers um you know obviously they're multiple realization argument or something like that I, again I'm, I'm not prepared for this, this no argument. I, I understand uh, you and i were supposed to have a show on this uh once upon a time but it never never materialized let me just ask you one more question i want to see if i can bring val uh uh, in uh, on some of this. So the one more question I have uh, regarding this this type of uh, realist versus uh, non-realist view. Uh, so you believe that moral uh, truths are real objects of some sort that have to be grounded in something. I say that they are merely relationships uh, between people in ways to describe relationships. I would also put as an example of relationships, say, um, emotions. That's that's a, more of a description of how we feel about things. Uh, are, are emotions uh, also um, necessary, true things that have to be grounded in something? And if not, what's the difference between an emotion and, uh, say, a moral good? Well, it's just based on inherently what they are. An emotion is a, a sensation, right? Um, but there can be a proposition that about my emo about an emotion or something, and that would be logically necessary in the same way. Um, number so, so I feel I feel happy. Uh, let's say a statement about that emotion. Does does that need some kind of God to ground that fact in? Yes. Okay. Well, at least at least that's consistent. But I I don't see it. Can I uh, can I can uh, we bring Dale uh, back for a moment? Uh, and I know that um, we uh, we wanted to advance that conversation that you were having earlier. Upset, uh, Dale. Can we bring Val uh, in uh, for a moment? Val, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Uh, so Val, uh, before. Um, I don't know whether I'm sicking you on Dale or sicking Dale on you. Um, before, before this dogfight continues, <laughs> I did have some things to say about Marvin's stuff. I way. did. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you about some of that, uh, but I also wanted to because you and I have a disagreement, and so I, I just want to go. Uh, round robin with uh, everybody I disagree with, which is almost everybody. Um, uh, but it's we had a little bit of clash the other day, and I wanted to know if you had a, a chance to rethink that or if you've heard anything that makes you think differently. Uh, I was saying that the Christian and the non-Christian does not mean the same thing when they talk about good, and I I continue to think that you are wrong about that. Uh, I, I do understand where you were coming from, I think, but whenever I talk to a Christian on the board, and I had a little bit of this conversation uh, with Marvin, it becomes uh, very clear that at least some Christians are not talking about the same thing that at least I am talking about when I talk about the good. And I don't think they're talking about the same thing that you're talking about. 
uh, when they talk about a good. And the fact that their their definition of good has something to do with a God, it it can't be, it's inextricably linked from their ideas about God, means that there has to be something fundamentally different. Uh, do you want do you want to uh, readdress that um, in light of the conversation that you've heard so far? Well, um, I would still say that it you know it boils down to what we're asking. So um, it's there's a sense in which, as I said before, I think you're both involved in the same project. And, and therefore that, therefore you're asking what are the reasons why I ought to, to do this versus ought to not do that. And the answer to that is going to be what is good and what is moral. So the, you do have a general ground level agreement as to what you are seeking. The Christian comes up with a different answer to it. And insofar as he has a different answer that depends on a God and he says uh, morality um, this is the answer for why you want to do this over that, and it's the ontological ground, then in that sense, yes, he's talking about a different good than you're talking about. But I still think it, 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 it's, uh, there's a division between the project that you share and the answers that you will disagree on. Yeah, I, don't think, so I still the, think there's an agreement. I don't think the project is the same. And um, uh, I, I hope that you don't take too much offense uh, no. Uh, for this, but I think that you have been duped. I think you have been duped by uh, Christian propaganda and uh, some of the philosophical maneuvering that they do to hide uh, the good that they're talking about. And so, well, Sorry. yeah, the project of the Christian is not the same project that you're engaged with. The project of the Christian is to uh, fulfill uh, to their their best ability to be uh, a mirror of the nature of God. Uh, and uh, this is why they conti- consistently come up with different answers uh, to questions about what the good is. Uh, I will talk about this a, a little bit in my closing. Uh, but there is, a, there is a very different mindset of, uh, say, the, the person who uh, looks at uh, the the stoning of the homosexual laws, since we've already talked about that, the, the those laws, and and says, well, that was good for their time because that fulfilled God's plan, or because more people would be saved uh, than otherwise, or because, well, you see, they're not they're not talking about the same project that you're talking about, and they don't they don't understand good in the same way that you understand good, uh, because their good does definitionally include. Uh, a supernatural being and a supernatural will that they are trying to uh, attain or, or be more like. That is the project that they are uh, doing, and you are not doing that project. Okay, well, just in response, I would draw um, an analogy uh, to um, Christians on morality. I, uh, I have lost you there, so... Um, um, okay. So when we can you can you repeat that again? We lost you there for a little bit. Yes. Okay. Sorry. Uh, so in response, I'm going to draw an analogy um, uh, about when we talk about Christians and morality. So this is just an atheist take between you and me, just to try and get a point across. Um, so uh, when 
Christians, you'll see some Christians say that they um, they get their morality from God, that their morality is based on the Bible. So you could say, well, clearly they have the project of driving good from the Bible, and that's all it's about. But we atheists often point out they're actually, no, they're mistaken about where they're actually getting their morality from. Uh, that may be their answer, but they're, they're mistaken uh, because they're bringing their own morality uh, and sifting through uh, what they think is good and tossing out what is bad in the Bible. And so they may say that I get more, my, my project is to get morality from the Bible, and I get my morality from the Bible, but we can actually point to, no, that's actually not what's happening. So in a similar way, as far as the project of morality between the atheist and the Christian, once again, if we go back to my example of, when uh, when you're debating with some Christians and, and they'll say, okay, if there's no God, why shouldn't I do this and why should I do that? It's the same kind of situation where you can see what's underneath is the question of what reasons are there to do this or that. That is the project that they think God fulfills, but that's really beneath it the same way that they're that uh, you know that their own existing morality is beneath their morality. Right, and I think the example you gave shows that in fact you're you're working with a different definition of good and a different project altogether. Because when you do you know the- hypothetically take away their god, they do say, well, you know, then I just as well go out rape, uh, plundering, and pillaging. Because for them, there there's no difference between that and not raping, plundering, and pl- pillaging. Uh, they don't, you know, well, I can just uh, kill anybody I wanted to. No, you can't. But they don't have a, a grounding of thought for, uh, you know, being good in the way that we think of without this definition of God. So without that, they really don't have the same idea of good that you do. They don't have the same project of uh, human flourishing. They don't even see the point. You just heard Marvin, uh, you know, asking, you know, it, it, in in this uh, kind of feigned uh, interrogation. Well, why is that good? Well, why is that good? Because the Christian actually has no idea outside of their God why it's good. They have no clue. Uh, this is what they are trying to tell you. And I think that we atheists need to start listening to Christians when they tell us things like this. Sorry, can you guys hear me again? Yes, I can hear you. I have no idea when you lost me. <laughs> okay, no, that's okay. So we we need to start listening to Christians when they tell us uh, that they have a different idea of good than, than us. They've been telling us that for a long time in very uh, many ways. I will I will let it drop at that point. Uh, but um, yeah, if you can you can kind of come back on that and uh, maybe bring in some of uh, Marvin's conversation and for. For the rest of the time, I'm going to just let everyone um, who is still on the program uh, unmute yourselves and uh, engage in some uh, open conversation. Okay, so I I don't think I'll come back on that because I, I, I did, and I don't know how much of it was heard or not, so I'll just leave it whatever. None of it was whatever. heard. None of it oh. was heard. So you can, you, can, you can come back on it. Hmm. Okay, so... Okay, I gave the morality example for them finding, thinking they found find the morality in the Bible. You heard that, right? Yes. Okay, so I was saying that it's the same uh, same as when you go back to when I said uh, about when you're talking to Christians about um, morality being based on God, and when they say, 
uh, well, if morality, if God doesn't exist and, and uh, God isn't based on morality, then they say, why, why then shouldn't I steal your stuff? Why shouldn't I do this? Why should I do that? And so you can see that underneath what their, what their, what morality is for them is reasons to do X or to not do X. So, so it's just like, um, it's just like their claim that uh, I'm getting morality from the Bible and that's my project. You can actually point out, no, it's not because you bring your own morality to the Bible. It's the same thing here. So they can say their project is, uh, or you can say their project is, um, they derive morality from God and God is the ontological basis. But you can actually, as I say, I think, see that that's not happening. But I can move on to stuff about uh, what Marvin said, if you'd like. Sure. Take it away. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to just bit through uh, some thoughts uh, as to uh, what Marvin was saying. Um, okay, so first of all, I got to say I, I support Marvin's questions and, and Dale's as well. I think they're both asking the right type of probing questions when they're saying things like, you know, why is X good? I think the question matters because uh, different answers can apply different consequences, including implications for what we ought to do. So, for instance, if the answer... Uh, for why it's good to save someone from drowning because it's an expression, for instance, an expression of God's nature to do so. Uh, when we do that, then it may follow from revelation that homosexuality ought to be condemned, you know? So you, you got to see where the implications go. Here. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so let me just jump in real quick. Sure. Uh, it, it's like pulling hair to get the Christian to admit that God has anything to do with any of this though. Uh, so I, the reason I think Marvin's, uh, question is a little bit illegitimate, well, why is it good, why is it good, is because these are questions, these are exactly the questions that you can't get Christians to answer. Uh, I have asked for many, uh, many times, why do, I know why I think it's good, why do you think it's good? Uh, when Marvin answered that um, it, it, you know, his uh, moral intuition tells him that it's wrong, that's just an answer to why he thinks it's wrong. It's not an answer to why it's wrong. You understand the difference between those things. And so uh, I know we've got one remaining Christian on the line, but I hope that you represent there. Uh, Christians do need to answer honestly why they think things are wrong. I mean, why things are wrong. And they need to talk about their God and their belief in uh, the Bible and divine revelation and things like that to be honest about it. And when they don't talk about those things, they are being dishonest. Okay. I can okay. agree with some of that, unless somebody wants, wants to jump in. Uh, I, so can go on. So I thought you were saying to, for the Christian or something. Uh, so so I don't need to uh, talk about God at all, right? Because I, I defined God wrong um, with Val. Um, so number one, deontologically, it's, it's a violation of an inherently or intrinsic good moral rule it's if you don't follow the moral rule that's bad plus the the teleological reason uh the bad consequences uh by a virtue ethics but, comes but who gave who gave you the rule whose rule yeah. you you have to talk about god or else you're not being honest about where where you're, where you're coming from and i well, think there's a reason why christians try to hide the god uh, in conversations like this? Well, no, it's it's uh, who's trying to hide it, right? But it's we're taking it one step at a time to get what's complete. We can define good without reference to God. No, you can't. Uh, initial, 
I, I've had a thousand discussions on the board. You cannot. <laughs> Christians, uh, you know, maybe maybe you have some way of doing it. But if you get Christians to talk about good long enough, it comes back to it's the nature of God. And and we just need to start there and be honest with it and have an honest conversation. No, but that's that's just uh, is like think of the moral argument that I, I gave, right? We can establish the truth of those morals if we're looking at the ontology. And we can we can both I can get you to agree that there's a moral rule hypothetically. Says nothing about well, where is that grounded? Yeah, yeah, that's that's coming. That's part of it. But first, I've got you at the first step that yeah, there's a moral rule. Slavery is wrong. Okay, uh, you cannot give a complete definition of good and moral morality without bringing up God. That is what yeah. I mean. You make and give a first step. That's irrelevant. I'm saying that you need to get to the last step. And the last step, with the whole process, that contains God. It's God written all over it. And that's where the conversation needs to be. And when it's not there, it is dishonest. Wasn't that... Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that the admission in the Christian conversation during the discussion over the urethro dilemma uh, that ultimately all of these questions about uh, moral decision-making have to come back to God because... Uh, the idea is that that there is no urethros dilemma that uh, that uh, good and God are identical, and so isn't David right in saying that even in the Christian conversation there was a nod to that exact point that there is no moral decision that can be made without being founded in God who is good. There is no moral decision that can be made without reference to God. No, no, no good okay. moral decision that can be made that isn't founded uh, in in God's nature. wasn't Wasn't that actually yeah. what you guys described in the Christian roundtable? Yes. So, but that's okay, that's, not, so that's what that's, David is saying. Well, here, so here's the way I see that, and the, the reason I sort of take issue. So, so see it from my perspective, right? So, I, it's absolutely David is absolutely correct to say that Christians that just give that what I call the first step and then leave it at that are not giving a complete answer because yes, at, at the end of the day, everything, all those moral things that we agree with, well, you, you want to know what they grounded in or founded in, as Andrew called it, um, and that that's God. But I sort of see it as David's trying to do an end round and create division before we even get started. He doesn't want even to give the common ground on the first step. He wants to do it all at once and say, yeah, but ultimately you believe in God, so we can't even talk now. We don't have Maybe. common ground. And this is this is the thing that I – you're trying to suck people in with common ground and then high philosophy. Um, and I'm, I'm not having any of it. I'm standing at the gate, and I'm, I am waving people away from that because that is fake. Uh, the fact of the matter is when the conversation about moral naturalism uh, – comes up, uh, and that's in episode uh, four, I think it was, uh, the, the entire uh, Christian rebuttal to that is that morality cannot be uh, explained uh, c 
completely explained naturalistically. It has to have a God. You have to start with a God. You can't explain it with human evolution. You can't explain it with DNA. You can't explain it uh, with with uh, atoms in motion. Uh, it has to be something else. This is where the Christian starts uh, the conversation about moral naturalism. And so to pretend like somehow, no, 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 we've got common ground at the beginning. We do not. It's, let me, let me try start. something a, a little different here because I suspect that there's going to be a problem uh, in, in sort of overlap uh, in the two systems. So I think it's, it's pretty clear that uh, that humanists and Christians share some ethics in common. So, Dale, is is what you're trying to go after here uh, the common ground between the two systems, or or are you actually trying to smuggle God in uh, in the second step? So, so what are you doing here? Are you are you going after some common ground, or are you trying to smuggle in God? So it depends on the nature of the conversation, right? So, I, um, well, well, no, hold on, it shouldn't. No, I, I don't agree. Well, if it, if well, we're going to have a conversation about ethics and we're going to have that conversation honestly, we shouldn't be trying to smuggle in an agenda. No, well, it's not smuggling in. So it, it depends on what my goal for the conversation is, right? So if, if I'm trying to give a comprehensive view or if my goal is to prove that God is what the heck was that? No idea. It was Val. That's all we need to know. All right. At the at the three hour mark, the whoopee cushion came out. <laughs> what a honestly, show you've put on for us here, David. Honestly, I I was trying to build the tension, and then we get that. <laughs> that is not... <laughs> okay. okay, but but surely. But 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 so so Andrew stop uh, the show. <laughs> stop the show, okay. No, uh, stop. Look, look at stop, look, don't stop the show. We no. gotta keep going. I'm just uh, gonna yeah. put myself on mute. So so Val <laughs> Oh, Val's, um, sorry, I just remembered something from way back that David said that I couldn't stop laughing, and I'm not going to, Brian's telling me to shut up, okay, so, um, so, so, yes, if if my goal is um, to argue for God's existence, or to give a comprehensive account of morality, um, then, yeah, you need to bring up both parts, but, I mean, look at Val, Val, in the first part of our discussion, obviously God came up there. We we did discuss the Euthyphro dilemma. For for goodness sakes, dude, how did you guys miss that? I mean, he he challenged me on that. Val wasn't suckered in by us having common ground on the first step. He he agreed with me to a degree so much, and then he was yeah. Well, David's sort of taking him to task over that, isn't he? <laughs> but but the the point is his his concern that people people are being smuggled into believing into God. No, it's, it's look, we've got this first premise. Let me establish that premise. I, I, okay. I tried to do that with, with so, David, with the, the slavery's wrong thing. I didn't need to appeal to God. I don't need to start with, and, and I believe in God, and God, God's the grounding. That's that's stupid. Why why would anyone start there? Start start with establishing that what morality is. It's, it's not genes. It's not human well-being and flourishing. It's this 
logically necessary, or as most Christian politicians, they, they try to say there's objective moral truths that exist. Great. Now what? Okay, well, how do you explain those? Christian will so, say God. David, with that, let me just get some agreement from David because it's his show and he could easily just come in and trounce on the whole thing. David, with this groundwork laid, are you happy to let, are you happy to let Dale uh, continue? Oh, I'm happy to let Dale continue, but I don't buy it. <laughs> so oh, okay. So, uh, okay, so okay. Now let, we have let, a real David, I, do, do you honestly believe that my two-step process is like I'm? I'm seriously trying to dis be dishonest. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm explicitly stating the premises. People can see premise two is is arguing for God, and and I'm breaking it up as Randall Rouser said into analyzable components. So, Dale, I don't want to impugn your motives because I think that uh, – I actually think that you are an honorable human being uh, from from what I can tell. So I, I want you to separate that from the fact that I think that the Christian project of evangelism is a shitty, shitty uh, uh, operation full of lies and skullduggery. Uh, and and full of tactics that would make a salesman blush. Uh, and so uh, I think that while you are an honorable person, you are still caught up in uh, some of those tactics uh, that I think are uh, unworthy. The fact of the matter is you are a Christian. Teddy, for instance, uh, God bless her, I think that she's got uh, some of the most toxic religion um, that's available, but I love the fact that she is honest about it and she runs right at it. She is a uh, uh, a um, divine command theorist. God said it, and that ought to settle it. Um, you know, this is why is homosexuality wrong? It's not wrong because of any kind of uh, logical worlds. It's wrong because God said it was wrong. God damn it. And that's the only thing that matters. And at the end of the day, even, even with many of your arguments, that's the only thing that matters. And so, yes, you are using tactics uh, to kind of get around to that fact, to ease over to that fact. And I'm saying that that's the fact that you should start with. You should come out with your cross held high. Uh, and your head held up high saying, this is God. I am a representative of God, and this is right because God said it, and it's wrong because God said it. And that's what you really think, and that's what you ought to say. I don't care about the tactic that inches us up to, okay, and, this, and then this is grounded in God. Uh, after about 45 minutes of arguing, start there. Let's have a real conversation. Val, do you still have that whoopee cushion? I, I think we need it. <laughs> it's gone. Uh, that took away all my yeah i I was uh i'm a little cranky i've had a long day but uh that whoopee cushion has kind of woke me up and made me uh in a good mood now but (laughs) (laughs) yes let's by all means let's turn it over to val for a couple of minutes what marvin said (laughs) let well val uh, first of all why don't you wrap up what what you've heard over the last 10 minutes here and uh then go go on to some of the stuff marvin said Oh, well, um, okay, but Dale should get to finish what he was saying because he sure. got he got to deliver premise one, and he uh, well Dale just finished with premise one. Yeah, <laughs> listen when when pre- when premise two is a whoopee cushion, you're all done. With the premise <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll consider that an an atheist tactic. Um, very effective. David, do you remember that time 
uh, I'm not going to say it because it's inappropriate, but like um, where we're arguing about the meaning of for new and you were talking about uh, it, it means fornication. And then I meant, I mentioned about God foreknowing propositions or something. I, I just couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? Vaguely, vaguely. Okay. I was mostly sober during those uh, early, early shows. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm trying to sit very still on this. <laughs> Val, Val, save us from ourselves, please. Wait. Uh, oh, yeah, so oh, yes. Wait. You, you were, you were. Uh, finish your thought, Dale, and then I'll have Val save us from ourselves. Very quickly. So, yeah. So, yeah. On the first premise thing, again, I, it, I just see it as illogical. Um, we are presenting, we are up front presenting the arguments just like any other argument in a deductive thing that uh, has multiple steps and doesn't matter what order you go in. It, it's, it just makes sense to, to use common ground. I've seen David do this all the time. He concedes, uh, oh, Jesus exists. I'm conceding that because what? No, you should argue mythicism right from the gate. Be honest. You're dishonest, David. No, he's not. He's he's just saying, let me give you this, and then even if I grant you this, this can be. But but you're rehashing history and not your argument, and and so let me encourage you to uh, okay, so go after the first and second premise that that you thought were important. Okay, so yeah, it's you you establish you present your premises up front, then you can take take your pick and provide the warrant for each premise in my cosmological I'm presenting I've done like I'm going to be doing nine hours or something just proving the first premise that the universe is a contingent existing thing that's not being dishonest premise three is there it's it's going to be arguing for God eventually but I don't have to start with premise three and, and warrant that before I prove the universe exists contingently or something Okay. Um, I, so, Dave, I wasn't trying to take the mic away from you. This is your show. I just thought I'd step in and help. This, this stopped to. being my show at show number five, which was supposed to be the end. So, this is, uh, folks, this is your show. Uh, Val, um, would you mind coming, coming in on some of that? On some of that? Okay, so we're still on that. Um, oh, well, yeah. Okay, yeah. I would just say that from what I'm hearing, uh, I would take a Dale side on this. After after yeah. so many opportunities, you are wrong again. Uh, you wanted to you wanted to talk about uh, some of the things that Marvin said, though. Uh, pick pick us up on that. I'll uh, okay. I'll I'll deal with you in the comments. Sure. Um, yeah. So because I've got some time off, sir, and uh, <laughs> I I am the original atheist keyboard warrior, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I don't think I can keep up now. And uh, uh, so he, and uh, David, we're gonna we're gonna have to get more comments going because I'm pretty sure Tara deleted about 250 of hers, so the number like dropped overnight. Yeah. So like my next comment section, I was I was gonna feature some of her stuff, but oh well. Oh well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you guys, you guys go. That targets up like that. It is it is unfair to expect people not to respond to that kind of setup. Val, please. I'm, I'm muting my mic. Val. No problem. Yeah. So, yeah, so Marvin spoke about things like the triune God as an exemplar of what good is. He also mentioned the problem with the evolution um, uh, as well as far as the naturalist uh, morality. 
So just really fast, just on the the idea that the uh, that he floats the triune God as an exemplar of what good is. So I uh, I agree that an exemplar could be epistemologically useful. Um, so you can see what examples of say good behavior, but that doesn't establish moral ontology. Uh, and that said, uh, one major problem with the whole trying God thing is that it seems to be incoherent. I certainly can't understand it. And, and uh, many theologians ultimately punt to mystery when they're trying to figure it out. So until I'm given an understanding of this exemplar, it can hardly be an exemplar for me. But to get a bit more detail about that, it's like God is either one person or not. He can't be three persons and be one person, nor can we. So if God's an exemplar, uh, if God's exemplar is the triune relationship, then what does it suggest? Does it suggest that we ought to love others? Well, that only works if Jesus and the Holy Ghost are others that God loves. That is other persons uh, than God, which seems to make for polytheism. But if it's not polytheism and God is one person, then it seems to only amount as an example of self-love, which doesn't seem to go very far in explicating morality and an example of how we ought to treat others. So I just don't see how this exemplar works in any way, not to mention how do we get ought from that aid. Uh, and also, obviously, so we also mentioned that uh, moralism wouldn't track with evolution, which seemed odd to me, I think you put it that way. Um, but we need to act to live, or any creatures would need to act to live, and uh, desires would give reasons to act. And truth-tracking beliefs would be one way of having an advantage in surviving. And the evolution of reason along with this would help us produce acts that fulfill those desires. And those with the desire to survive will be more likely to survive. And those whose beliefs and reason track reality would be more likely to take the right actions to fulfill those desires and hence survive to pass on their genes. So desirism sort of naturally arises from the existence of such creatures as described above, and like ourselves, and ultimately we'll have more and stronger reasons to promote certain desires over others among a society of social creatures, where consistent reasoning will take into account the existence of other desires. Um, Marvin also mentioned um, uh, what he saw as a problem for desirism, where he mentioned uh, this neurosis and ignorance problem regarding David and the button. Uh, uh, pushing a button in an elevator. Um, and I could respond to that, uh, but I would just respond reading the paragraph that I responded to him on the uh, comment section when you raised that same problem. So you could always go and read it there unless you want me to just say it here again. Like, otherwise, no, okay. I can move on to um, something else. Uh-oh. No, go go ahead and go ahead and uh, uh, oh, read it. The response. Okay. So just quickly, um, so Marvin has said in the comments section, it's incredibly difficult to imagine how David's desire to pick the button-pressing job contributes in any way to what we would call fulfillment or well-being in a way that a moral theory aims. Um, so I responded that the answer to whether David ought to choose the elevator job will depend on his circumstances. We have no reason to describe a universal rule, no one ought to be a button pusher for an elevator and no reason to promote that as a universal desire either. Again, it depends on the individual case. If David had other strong desires that were thwarted by his choosing the button-pushing job, say to study to become a biologist, then we can make the case uh, to David on how pushing uh, the button-pushing job wouldn't be reasonable given his stronger desires and goals are being thwarted by it. 
Or perhaps it could be that David is a talented mechanic and the only one in town, and many are in dire need of their cars being fixed, which gives others the reason to want to influence David's desire towards fixing cars. This is a prudential ought that in the right situation, it can enter the realm of moral ought, uh, so it depends. So people in general have reasons to promote and others the desire to help others when possible. And so if the situation is dire enough, the townspeople can appeal to David to, to, to promote in him the desire to help others and do work as a mechanic rather than pressing the button. So it's all going to depend on the circumstances, whether this just remains a prudential lot that only takes uh, David's own desires in, uh, into account. That's generally the difference between a prudential lot and a um, moral lot or whether it's going to bleed into becoming a moral thought on desirism. So with that, I can move on to other stuff if you'd like. Uh, yes. Can I uh, uh, encourage uh, you to uh, conclude uh, any thoughts that you had with your original conversation with Dale, uh, since we both have you here? Sure. Um, and I want to start the project of wrapping up. Okay. Uh, so, Dale, you're still there? Is it, oh, did we lose Dale? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So, Dale, yeah, I just wanted to um, get to what I, I never got that we set up from the other program where we were talking about um, the problem of uh, deriving ought from is uh, and what that means ontologically. And then uh, I, I want to um, quickly talk about how desirism approaches this question um, and I can I'll just whip through that and uh, and so how it moves from uh, ways, etc so uh, I'd say it, the question is uh, do is and ought exist in different realms or are they fully different things um, you know like a, is there a platonic or supernatural realm that the ought has to exist in uh, so desireism claims that there's no such division there is only the is uh, the world of facts and uh, moral statements of ought are forms of, oops, am I still here? You are. Can you guys still hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Yes, sorry. we can hear you. Okay, so here we go. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, bu, bu, bu. Sorry. Uh, yeah. uh, there is no such division. There is only the is, and moral statements of ought are forms of fact or is statements. We never need to posit a magic or other realm, platonic or otherwise, where ought resides. So I'm still sort of cribbing from Alonzo Fife here, but um, so value statements have to do with reasons for action. Reasons for action arise from desires. We are seeking to make or keep true the propositions of our desires. So that desires exist is an objective fact. Uh, my desires are an objective fact about myself. The statement, I like chocolate mint ice cream, is as objectively true as my statement, I'm under six feet tall. Ought simply describes which actions will fulfill the desires in question. So if you desire X, then you ought to do X. In the case of wanting to uh, wanting water to boil, uh, if you desire the water to boil, you ought to place it on the stove flame. Therefore, the nature of ought is that it's just another form of is statement of fact. That is, you ought to do X, is a factual claim which means doing X is such as to fulfill the desires in question. So that's an is statement, it's a fact statement, it's either, so ought is an is statement, it's a fact statement, it resides in the world of what exists. Uh, we don't have to posit a separate realm for ought. 
Uh, and that will either be true or false, like any other empirical fact claim about the world. And in the moral subset of ought, uh, to say you ought to desire X is to say desiring X will tend to fulfill desires, which is likewise uh, a form of is statement, and it's in the realm of empirical fact statements. It's going to be either true or false. So note uh, something very important, given my criticisms of uh, Dale in the last show, uh, Dale's propositions, uh, that this is not arbitrary. Uh, these are not claims based simply on opinion or whim. They're either true or they're not. They're all facts, fact claims that ought to be accepted as true. It does not result in the type of arguing via definition uh, and uh, arbitrariness that we atheists usually critique in theistic morality. There are reasons to accept the claim for how values arise and its objective existence over theistic moral theories. Also, it tracks well with many of our moral uh, appraisals. So if you take uh, the example of two guys, John and Fred, um, and uh, two different scenarios, that John's walking along the sidewalk and he sees that an old woman has fallen in the middle of traffic and can't get up. So John ends up helping the woman, brings her to safety at uh, some threat to his own well-being. Fred also is passing by and the old, there's an old woman who fell. Fred also helps the old woman uh, across the street at some uh, threat to his safety um, and, uh, and saves the woman. But the difference in the two scenarios is that John uh, desired to help the old woman, desired to help somebody in need, uh, whereas uh, Fred did not desire to help the old woman. Fred only did it because somebody had him at gunpoint forcing him to do it. Um, pretty much everyone, if we ask who, which of these two people are more worthy of our moral uh, praise, pretty much everyone's going to say John did, the person who desired to do it, not the person who did it just because uh, he didn't desire it and because he was on gunpoint. Uh, that's because, uh, note how this has to do with good character. It's sort of similar to virtue ethics. We care about their internal state or character and about their desires. That's also why we promote in our children desires to care for the desires of others, uh, which would include, you know, the well-being of others. And uh, we want to encourage in, uh, you know, our children, just in, as in others in society, uh, good character, good desires, not just rote adherence to rules. Um, and so you can talk about, for instance, slavery. Uh, how would this sort of appeal to something like slavery? So uh, you have to ask, is the, is the desire for slavery a uh, good or bad desire? Is, does it tend to thwart desires or fulfill desires? Uh, and that is, do we have more and better reasons to uh, promote the desire or to uh, thwart it? So the thing about slavery is it's basically an inherently desire-thwarting desire to enslave other people. Uh, that is chattel slavery. Let's talk about the worst examples that everybody agrees is, is bad. So where you're enslaving people against their will. So you are thwarting uh, many and strong desires of the many people you are enslaving. Um, so it's automatically a desire-thwarting desire to promote in a society. You turn the knob up, you're going to get more desire-thwarting. If you turn the desire down, you're going to have less and less desire-thwarting. But do you have something to promote in its place? Well, we could promote in its place the desire for the respect for each other's autonomy, and for mutually agreed upon, mutually beneficial exchanges. Um, so my my services for your uh, goods, um, you know, 
Uh, you have the desire for X to be done. I can do X and have the desire for money. A mutual agreement where both of us have our desires fulfilled is more desire fulfilling than you enslaving me. And that, it, that's generally the case that you expand that universally. So that's how you can talk about uh, what kind of desires we want to have reasons to promote. We have reasons to promote the desire uh, to an aversion to slavery and promote a desires that uh, are take other people's desires into account. Done with that? Yeah, okay, all right. So you, you're uh, a nice one. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not at my peak right now, so, but... Fair enough, neither am I. <laughs> yeah, it's the... Okay, so I, I guess um, desires to fulfill other desires. Okay, well, what... What if all your desires are, are evil? And, and you kind of address the slavery thing. I mean, slavery in the Roman Empire fulfilled desires, and it was conducive to fulfilling further desires in the Roman Empire. That's why it was used. So it's it's I'm not I'm not sure it's that your nice and neat package. Okay, I can I can address that quickly, Dale. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So. Um you still seem to be thinking of this uh, uh, more in an, an, uh, an act utilitarian way, as if the act which will fulfill the most desires, or the acts that will fulfill the most desires, um, is good. But that's not how desirism uh, works. It evaluates whether desires themselves have the tendency to fulfill more desires. And if, uh, to, so, for instance, let's take an example of the, the classic example of the, uh, you know, 10 sadists surrounding. We, uh, we lost you there for a moment. Yes, go back to 10 sadists surrounding. Okay. Okay, so we got ten, it sounded like the beginning of a joke. Three, ten yeah. sadists walk into a bar. Walk into a bar with that. Uh, I could call them axe murders or something. But, um, so you've got ten, ten sadists um, uh, surrounding a woman, uh, uh, and they all have the desire to torture the woman. The woman has uh, the desire for her own well-being, like most normal women. Um, and so, if you if you were on an act utilitarian version, uh, you would say, well. The, uh, the sadists should fulfill their desires because it's more desires to, um, to uh, torture the woman than there is in the case of the one woman with the desire not to be tortured. But again, that's about in which act would fulfill the most desires. If we evaluate which desire tends to be uh, fulfilled the most desires, um, well, right now you've got 10, uh, Ten desires that would be fulfilled, and one desire which would clearly be thwarted. But if you turn down the desire to torture to zero among the sadists, then none of them would have the desire to torture the woman, and the woman's uh, the woman's desires would not end up being uh, uh, being thwarted. Therefore, that's the more desire fulfilling desire to encourage. Okay, but just real quick, um, the masochist says to the sadist, beat me, and the sadist says, no. Well, yeah, if you've got, if you've got this See, this is, this is hilarious. Just think about it for a little while, folks. Okay, <laughs> it's, it's late, but that's... Oh, I got you. Really, I get it. I got really. it. Sorry. I'm worth that. I get it. Oh, God. 
Okay. Um, anyway, Are really you, funny. Just you know? it. <laughs> yeah. where, where's that? Where's that whoopee cushion when we need it? <laughs> I'm gonna try it again. You see, the masochist says to the sadist, "Beat me," and the sadist says, "No." You see, now now the masochist is being tortured by not being beaten, and so the sadist tortures her by saying, "No, it's a, it's." I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back to my old mind. Dave, when you have to explain the joke, man. I look. I I, I, I see that I've got the wrong crowd here. It's okay. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say so. so I, really, I really like it, Dave. Should right. I say that that answer goes back to your question about the, the Romans uh, and whatever, however they tormented tormented many people. Um, uh, it's the same thing if you posit them as the sadists, as it were. Uh, if you turn down the uh, desire for uh, for their uh, torturing or tormenting other people in Romans times, it's the same as turning down the desire to rape or turning down the desire to torture people. Uh, you get less desire thwarting. And uh, you can put in more desire, fulfilling desires that we would have reasons to promote in society uh, in their place. So what's your principle of trying to maximize the amount of fulfillable desires as, as well? Like you're not, it's it's not just you're trying, whatever, say I've got five desires, we're trying to make sure I've got five desires, you're trying to maximize the amount of fulfilled desires people have so that instead of five, they should have 10 or something like that. And is, is that again? Um, not, not quite. This is the, a, a bit of a tricky bit. Um, it's not that you are trying to maximize the amount of fulfilled desires um, because that would could result into a, a never-ending need to fulfill desires such that you, you know, uh, if we had the power, we just keep creating things that have desires just so they can be fulfilled. It's no, um, it's simply the claim that there are desires that exist and that those desires give reasons to promote uh, certain desires uh, universally uh, and not others. So it, it's, it, it's actually tends to be um, uh, it's more about fitting together desires, you might say, and uh, finding uh, which desires work as being uh, universalizable and uh, others which don't. It's not that you have to um, keep fulfilling desires as if you were some desire-fulfilling machine. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah, like I said, uh, I'm not going to be be able to give like a good uh, thing at this point but um, you know yeah, so I don't I don't have to I don't have to promote in you um, you we don't have to promote in each other uh, uh, so, well yeah no I, I would just be restating what I said so forget <laughs> so with well, that yeah, I, I will listen I will re-listen to this tomorrow and once I'm rested up and uh, I'll probably notice some things there but sure so with with that, we're going to we're going to go ahead and move toward a close. Um, and here's the thing, guys: I'm not editing this at all. I'm not touching this. I'm going to trim the beginning and the end, and I'm going to put it on the internet. And this is what it is. Um, so uh, I am going. I I was going to reserve the last word for myself, but I'm actually going to just 
give the first word of the closing uh, right now, and then I'm going to move to Dale, uh, Val, uh, Andrew, uh, who will then answer the um, moral question. Uh, and then I am going to leave it to uh, Brian to finish this off. And so in that order, uh, everybody, everybody got it. All right, good. Um, when, who, who, uh, who has the whoopee cushion duty to finish us? Okay. I, I hate you guys so much. Um, <laughs> you, you didn't, you didn't get my joke and then you just, and then it, you know what? Um, Is that what that was? Our, our noggins are tired at this point. Yeah. So here we, here we just put yourselves on mute and then jump off the nearest bridge. Um, <laughs> one um, applied. I just, I'm just God. All right. Uh, so I, look, I've been thinking about morality for a long time. I was thinking about it before this series of shows uh, began. I've been thinking about it during the series of shows. Uh, I think that there are some things that um, we could have done. Uh, better, we could have done more of. I think that some things were missed. We tried to uh, get them done in this uh, episode, but I just, I just want to talk about some of the things that are important to me uh, in the discussion of morality. And I can tell you right now, moral ontology and moral theory in general, moral philosophy, does not uh, rate on the scale of importance to me at all. I, I think it's utterly worthless uh, in in the real world where people live. Uh, and so what I want to hear more of uh, come going forward, and if, if you want to chat with me uh, at skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com, uh, pop on by. Uh, I will be in the uh, comment section. Uh, these are the types of things that I would like to talk more about. Applied morality, uh, which I think is uh, the real showstopper. Uh, it, it's, it's how you show the decision-making workflow uh, from your moral theory to your final decision about what the good is for a particular issue. And as far as I'm concerned, if you cannot do that, your moral theory is useless. So I, I would like to have more conversation about that. Uh, I would like to have more conversation about uh, how Christians define God as the good. They, they say it all the time, very directly, uh, when they think it's making a point, but they don't say it quite as directly when we're having a, a direct conversation uh, about morality. Uh, but it's a definitional move. You, how you end up defining uh, God as good. You know, we have a word for good. And it's called good. We, I, I don't, I don't see why we need to define that further uh, as as something else. And I, I, that definitional move needs to be justified. Uh, I think that Christians uh, need to have their feet held to the fire a bit on that. Uh, Christians are not uh, talking about the same thing as atheists when they talk about the good. I, I believe this strongly. I've been a Christian. I've, I have had my mindset. Uh, in what Christians think about the good, and I think that I am uh, correct uh, on that. Uh, and I think that Christians must be compelled to admit, 
uh, to admit up front. When, whenever you have a conversation with a Christian about the good or morality, you need to in, uh, question them right away. Are we talking about God here? And get that out uh, early on. Because, you see, that's a, that's a pivotal piece. You don't need to make 45 minutes of an argument with a Christian thinking that you're talking about natural um, morality when you are not. They are never talking about that. Uh, and so let's let's have a more honest conversation. Uh, I want to um, hear more about moral intuition. You know, my moral intuition tells me that it's never right to label homosexuality as abominable and worthy of death. But in some period of history, the Christian God or the people who wrote about the Christian God uh, definitely had a different uh, moral intuition than that. I think that that God or those people who wrote about that God were wrong by the way I uh, calculate wrong. And so if we're talking about our moral intuition, my moral intuition does not match the Christian moral intuition, either that or it does not match the Christian God's moral intuition or either that or it does not match the people who wrote about the Christian God moral intuition. And we should not let them get away with using moral intuition as some kind of general guide for understanding good because we have different moral intuitions uh, than they, they do when they're talking on forums or when they're talking on podcasts by themselves or when they're reading the Bible. And we should, we should not let them get away with that. We should press uh, forward uh, with what they're talking about when it comes to moral intuition. Finally, I want to I want to talk about some of the things, and this does get discussed a lot, but I think that it's important. We need to talk about some of the things uh, that this God does that causes people who don't believe in this God or who don't worship uh, this God to say that this God is a monster. And whether you say it's it's an objective fact or not, it doesn't matter whether it's an objective fact. It's a fact to us subjectively that this God is a monster. And so just a couple of things that I you never hear Christians talking about. It's the strong delusion, according to Second Thessalonians chapter uh, two, uh, right about verse eleven. But you can read a little bit before. Uh, and after. Uh, for those who are perishing, God will send them a strong delusion so that they will believe a lie. This God is so vindictive. He makes sure that certain people will never find the right path. He proactively sends them false information. This God is the devil. It's, it's that simple. This is, this is what you find when you read the Bible, when you read the manual, when you read the biography of this God, this is what he does. This is a deal breaker. Kill your kid. Look, I don't want to talk about the Abraham test. I kind of coined that phrase. Um, that, that's not even the most heinous kill your kid kind of story in Scripture. Uh, there is, uh, there is, of course, the Abraham uh, test. You bet. But the worst, uh, uh, the worst one. Um, it's Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 13. Uh, and I would, I would actually recommend that you just start at verse one and read through. That's a, that's just a terrible, terrible chapter, but I'm going to read just a little, uh, bit of it. Uh, so, uh, if your own brother 
or your son or daughter, this, these are your kids, okay? Your, uh, your brother, your sibling, your son or your daughter or the wife uh, that you love uh, or your closest friend secretly entice you saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors uh, have known, gods of the people around you, uh, whether near or far, from uh, one end of the land to the other. Do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death. And then the hands of the people stone them to death because they tried to turn you away from the Lord your God. Are you kidding me? If your daughter goes off to Berkeley uh, and comes back saying, hey, you know, I found this great religion. It's Hindu, and they, they uh, worship the monkey god. Look, I know you don't believe right now, but would you come to one service with me? Uh, let me explain. You're not even supposed to listen to her. Don't listen any further. Pick up the rock and bash her on the head right then. Don't have any pity, but don't kill her. Don't kill her. You need to save some for the rest of the community. This is the moral intuition of the God that you ground your morality in. How dare you question my morality? How dare you question the ground of my ethics when this is the God you serve? God damn you all. If that's what you believe, I will have none of it. And so I want to hear more conversation about that. The stuff that really matters. Let's see your God. I'll put my ethics up against his any day. And with that, Dale. And that was an example of moral intuition. Thank you, David. Your moral conscience was speaking quite loudly. Um, so thank you for proving that's moral intuition. What you just, all that passion that you just put in, that qualia of those moral facts of what you falsely think is so wrong and immoral, that's moral intuition. So you you've just proven uh, the Christian case there by doing that. Now you've got faulty facts um, that are that you know derivative knowledge that's causing you to come to faulty conclusions. Um, this is meant to be my closing, right? So I'm not supposed to be rebutting you. So. Um, yeah, so I guess in closing, um, in this show, um, due to circumstances, I, I haven't been at my best. And I do want to apologize to Val because I, I, the whole reason I wanted to be on this was to give him a chance to give his theory. I, I hope that he feels he's had a good chance to explain his views. Um, and early on, I, I did... Uh, okay, I've been great. Um, and, and early on, I did provide some some interesting feedback. But this this I want to share some of David's passion, um, which is hard for me. But this this topic is important. Don't pay attention to us joking around and stuff like that. This issue of moral philosophy is everything. It's the be all and end all of everything. It determines our our uh, moral actions and our guide, uh, our guidelines for what we do. Um, I mean, morals are so important and how we come to moral knowledge and how we come to making moral decisions is uh, fundamental. It's one of the things that makes us human beings. So um, 
you know, ignore any nonsense with whoopee cushions and stuff like that. Um, this this stuff matters. It, it's really important. So I, this is the Dale Glover version of a passionate plea to care about this, care about moral ontology, care about moral epistemology, care about applied ethics, care about the stuff that uh, matter to David. But you know, uh, take it seriously from both sides and try your best to to come to the truth. If you we live in a fallen world, you're not going to come to perfect conclusions every time. But be open. Uh, open your heart to God. Don't don't just close your mind and say, "Hey, there's this fact in the Bible. I'm just against it because our culture doesn't is pro homosexuality. So if you're anti homosexuality, I'm just going to rule you out." Um, put some more effort into it than that. that that's all. I'll leave it at that. Uh, whoever's next after me, go ahead. Um, me? Well. Hello? Oh, your, your turn, go ahead. Okay. Um, I'll just uh, say that um, um, as far as David's last uh, rant, it's always great. Can he, he can always channel the preacher. He's amazing. Uh, but I, I have some sympathy for what he said there, too. Uh, uh, there's, you know, there's a sense in which the most, you know, uh, moral philosophy, or what, what we do in society um at the societal level is more important than the moral philosophy. So there's a sense in which I agree with that. And then there's a sense in which I support Dale. Whether I show up in the comments section to go through that, I don't know. I'm, I've got internet fatigue as far as it goes. Really just that the one thing I just really like to end on is just that thanks for having me on and everybody talking with me. And I also want to uh, make sure that once again, that, um, that the, the theory of desirism of course, isn't mine. It's uh, the author is Alonzo Fife, and his last name is spelled F Y F E. And um, and to get uh, the most accurate view of that, I mean, some of this was my own bastardization of it, my thoughts, and some of it was sort of clear from what he's he's written. Um, and uh, so, if you really want to get, that, I mean, he he, any question you have about it, you'll find he has a defense. So if you just uh, Google desirism and Alonzo Fife, um, and I and I'd say that. Um, uh, I, I, the cool thing about it is that, like, if you t if, if you take the example of Sam Harris and his uh, his theory of the well-being of conscious creatures, um, and uh, uh, which I think is actually quite defensible to quite a degree, but the reason I like uh, desirism is that you know Sam Harris will say um, something like uh, why you should accept his axiom. He'll say something like asking why is the worst misery for everyone bad. Is just hitting a philosophical bedrock with a stupid question. He said something like that. So it's like it's a stupid question, but it's not there. If a, if a moral theory can answer that, that's actually important. And like desireism would answer that by by saying that the reason uh, the worst misery for everybody is bad has to do with uh, it, it would be thwarting everybody's desires, and desires are the source of value. Uh, and in, in in identifying desires. That's, that's identifying a deeper level of what's going on than Harris has, and identifying that deeper level, you can get more specific about what's going on and talk about specific problems and that kind of thing. Um, so, anyways, that's one reason, one of the many reasons I like the, the theory. So, anyways, thanks for uh, having me on. I guess that's over to me. Um, so, I'll start with a, a short, very short story about a. 
a young lady that I fostered uh, oh, almost 20 years ago now. Uh, we'll call her Lucy uh, because someday she might actually listen to this and not like uh, having her story retold with, with her real name. Um, Lucy was my uh, youngest daughter's closest friend. And the way I came to foster her is that both of her parents were ex-convicts. Uh, both had been in jail for uh, things like uh, felony possession with uh, intent to distribute. And uh, Lucy spent a lot of time uh, at our place because her dad, uh, who had sole custody of her because when I met her, her mother was still in jail, uh, had given her bedroom to a former cellmate of his that had gotten out of jail. Not only had he given Lucy uh, uh, Lucy's bedroom to this, this former cellmate, but uh, the house didn't have running water. And um, so naturally, she, she hung around at our place. We, we lived in a nice community, blah, blah, blah. And, and no reason to go into those details. Uh, John, uh, her dad called me late one Friday night, said, hey, have you seen Lucy? I said, yeah, she's here. She's, she's been here for a week or two. Uh, do you need me to bring her home? And he said, no, I think it's best that you keep her. And that is, in fact, the, the story of how we uh, began to foster Lucy. Here's the point. I didn't need a philosophy textbook. I didn't need Sunday school lessons on ethics. I didn't need to compare her situation to a trinity. It was quite easy for me to compare Lucy's story to my youngest daughter and see that, in fact, their circumstances were very different. And I will say that if you need a textbook to help you make that decision, I question your humanity as much as you would question mine for not believing in a God. And that will take me right into answering the question about giving money to uh, people that I might pass leaving the subway. After that bleeding heart story, you might think, well, surely he's going to say that he, uh, he liberally feeds every person he passes. And the answer to that is no. Uh, I rarely carry cash. I don't consider it particularly safe uh, for me uh, given given my physical circumstances, to, to do a whole lot of that kind of thing. But even if it was safe for me, even if I felt perfectly safe, I still wouldn't. And here's why. We have programs with economies of scale and professionals that are very good at making decisions for who needs service and who needs it worst. On my best day, I don't think I'm particularly good at that kind of decision. It doesn't mean 
It doesn't mean that I don't ever give someone a dollar. I'm happy to give people the money that's in my billfold because there's almost never very much of it. On the other hand, because I don't think that my ethical decisions are particularly special, I think it's important to have that kind of community involvement. I do think it's important for us to give locally and to get involved. And I have served in soup kitchens. And I do serve on a suicide crisis hotline. That's the kind of giving that I consider particularly meaningful. And while I probably wouldn't give a dollar every day or even particularly regularly, I really don't think that's the kind of giving that we're all particularly interested in. And that will lead me to one last comment. I was asked whether I thought social cohesion was important. I don't know where that, uh, where that question originated. It seemed to come from uh, a, a deeper conversation over on one of the discussion boards. I'll say this. As far as I can tell, our social cohesion is developed at the individual level. And that is the kind of social cohesion that I think we need to foster. Uh, a general trust society uh, where we have backup mechanisms that don't depend on my individual virtue in order to create a fabric of society in which we can all survive and flourish. And I don't think we need textbooks to figure out what flourishing is, though I do think the Harvard, uh, the aforementioned Harvard project does quite a good job of creating objective metrics about what it means for humans to flourish. And we can talk a lot about how we found ethics, but in some ways, I don't think it's particularly hard. If you've never rescued a kid out of the park or made peanut butter sandwiches in a soup line or worked a crisis hotline or, or that don't have to serve in the ways I think are important, but I really don't think that it takes a seven-part series discussing the infinite ins and outs of ethical systems to see who is in need. And if you need that, I think that's a conversation worth having. Well, that I'll hand it over to Brian. Thank you, Andrew. And I'm happy to take us out. This has been quite a conversation. This one is getting pretty close to four hours. And um, I'm amazed that how far we've come, but also how far we have to still go. Uh, first, I just want to thank David Johnson for creating this entire series, seven shows, upwards of 15 different guests, multiple avenues and topics on morality. And I dare say that we've barely scratched the surface after all this activity. Um, this is such a big topic, uh, but it's also a pretty basic topic. It's a topic that we all need to consider we all need to reason about, we all need to be rational about, and we need to get in the ring and participate. 
in being moral and talking about morality and getting to the answers. Uh, so I am just eternally grateful that we have this forum to have these conversations. Uh, and luckily for us, the conversations don't end as soon as we hang up this call. Uh, there's a message board that currently has over a thousand comments on this series of shows. It's at skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. I would love to see the number of comments there double on this particular series of shows because there's more conversation to be had. And to be frank, we need to have these conversations, whether you're Christian or atheist or somewhere in between. We are the people on the ground that have to learn to live with each other. And whether beliefs in God or in virtues or in metaphysical oughts or practical ises, we all have to figure out how to live on this earth together. Uh, and that's why this topic is so important. And that's why we all need to be open and available to have these conversations. Uh, and I am uh, happy to be a part of it. I'm going to continue to be a part of it. I've been pretty quiet on the boards up until now because I was saving my, my powder for this final show. Uh, but I'm going to get in there and mix it up. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Marvin there. I'm looking forward to seeing all of you guys coming onto the boards. Uh, and I hope there's people out there that are listening that maybe don't speak up often or have spoken up at all. We want to hear from you, too because everybody has something to bring to the table when we're talking about morality. So again, this has been a Skeptics and Seekers production. This has been a multi-part series on morality. Uh, I welcome you all to come continue this conversation with us. And with us, thanks for coming.